church that slowly had cooled off in its love and devotion for Jesus. Uh, last week we looked at a church that was getting squeezed and pressed, literally getting the life crushed out of them. And uh, today we're going to look at a third church. It's interesting. Jesus uh, is writing to seven different churches in uh, the region of what we would know today as Western Turkey on the Aegean Sea. Seven churches pretty close to each other, but they each had different strengths and different weaknesses, and we're going to see that today as well. Um, want to go on a little trip? Let's go on a little road trip right now, okay? Let's go uh, take our cars. We'll get on 75, and we'll head into Boyne City. And we're just going to keep going right till you, you stop, and you can't go any further unless you're going to go into Veterans Park. Tracking with me, Scott? And we're going to turn right. We're going to go by uh, uh, the family fair, and then we're going to go by Little Caesars, and we're going to make the bend. And you go four or five miles on Boyne City Charlevoix Road, you, uh, you eventually will find this little hamlet. I looked it up. It's officially a village, and it's called... Horton's Bay. Horton's Bay. Familiar with Horton Bay? Anybody? Uh, population 1,122. I didn't realize there were that many people in Horton Bay. That must be the entire village area. Anyway, Horton Bay's most famous resident other than the Nasons and the Bradleys, uh, Horton Bay's most famous resident, many of you know this, is, tell me, Ernest Hemingway. Yeah, and, and people come from all over. And they just want to walk around because that's Ernest Hemingway's town. Um, have you ever heard of a place called Tupelo, Mississippi? Tupelo, Mississippi is known as what? Some of you, especially if you're older than 50, you know what Tupelo, Mississippi is. It's what? It's Elvis's birthplace. And uh, it's kind of uh, got its reputation and if you get on the website, they've got his original house there, and you can pay a fee, and it's, it's great, you know. There might even be a train down there, Myra, next to uh, Elvis' birthplace. Yeah. Uh, this, this one uh, is uh, the final one. If, if uh, you go down to a city near Detroit named Dearborn, Burl, are you familiar with Dearborn? Dearborn, Michigan? Well, in 1863, there was this guy who was born in Dearborn, and then he died in 1947 in his Dearborn home. Uh, he's one of the richest and most influential men in the U.S. Matter of fact, the headquarters of his worldwide company is still located, any guesses? Right there in Dearborn. Uh, and that worldwide company also holds his name. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Who, who am I talking about right now? That's Henry Ford. Again, one of the most influential men, not just in Michigan, but uh, throughout time, okay? So, just as Horton Bay is associated with who? Hemingway. Tupelo, Mississippi is associated with Dearborn, Michigan is Henry Fordstown, okay? This is what's interesting. The third place that the crucified, resurrected Jesus Christ sends a message to uh, is the place where Satan lives, okay? Think with me for a minute, okay? Pergamum, Look at verse 13, Revelation chapter 2. It says, this is the city that Satan has his throne in. Okay? So just, just process that, you know, a little bit. Okay, Horton Bay, Hemingway, 
Tupelo, Mississippi, Elvis, Dearborn, Henry Ford, Pergamum. Well, that's Satanville, right? That's like demon town. That's what Jesus said was true. That's where Satan lives. Pergamum is, is the, the throne place of Satan and his demons. And it's going to be interesting to look at it today. Why would he call it Demonville? Why is this the place where Satan has his throne? Revelation chapter 2 in your Bibles. Let's stand together. We're going to read about the church at Pergamum, the most northern of the seven churches, the second largest city uh, that is written to here behind Ephesus. We'll read uh, beginning with verse 12. You ready? Let's read together. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has made his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I'm asking that you might help us today to understand what was going on in this church that prompted you to write this message to them. Lord, I'm praying that we might uh, be able to understand exactly what it is that you are trying to communicate to the church at Pergamum. Help us, Lord, then to take that next step. Help us, Lord, to apply the message for the church at Pergamum to your church here at Walloon. Uh, Show us, Lord, instruct us. Lord, I believe your words here today are active and alive and they're profitable. And Lord, I believe that the very same spirit that inspired John to put him down on parchment, Lord, I believe that very same spirit is here with us today in your church. So we invite your spirit, Lord, to speak and teach and instruct and convict. You come and do the work in each and every one of us that each of us needs. Give us ears to hear what your spirit has to say to your church. And all the church at Walloon said with ears that are open and ready to hear. You may be seated. Question. Why does Jesus describe the city of Pergamum as the place where Satan lives? Look at verse 13. Why why would he say, and I'm writing to you, and here's what you're known for. You're the place where Satan has his throne. Let me give you some background. First, 
Pergamum had uh, one of the largest medical centers in the ancient world. Uh, over five acres of buildings they've, they've uncovered, and five acres of buildings, it was the medical center, the leading medical center in Asia, um, and it was dedicated in honor of Ascapolis, okay? Ascapolis, well, what's that? He was the god of medicine. And he was more than just the god of medicine. Ascapolis' symbol was the snake. He was known as the snake god, okay? So you get this leading medical center right there in the center of Pergamum. So if you had a loved one who got really sick and he was not getting better and you lived there in Asia, uh, you'd do whatever it takes. And if you had some money and some means, you would take that loved one and travel to Pergamum. Why? Because they were the best at getting people who were really sick in that day better. They had the top doctors of the day. This would be like Mayo Clinic or Cleveland Clinic today. Uh, you're you're going to go to the best because there's a problem here and I want to go to the best. They had the best creams, the best salves and medicines available. They had spas and all sorts of therapies for the sick of the day. Okay, So you say, well, what's the problem with that? Listen close. They took their medicine and their doctors and they mixed them up with worship. In other words, you just didn't go to the doctor you would go and you would offer sacrifices to Ascopolis. You tracking with me? So yeah, you would go and you would speak to the doctor, but you would also have some interviews with some priests, or we might call them witch doctors today. And, and, and these, these folks who were literally serving the god Ascopolis would meet with you and they would teach you some chants and you would offer sacrifices to the god of medicine, the snake god, Ascopolis. Do you understand the struggle here? So now just picture here, you're a, a Christ follower, a member of the church in Pergamum, and now you see crowds coming in every day, and they're coming in to this, this place that, it, yeah, they have medicine, but they also are worshiping the snake god. It's this weird mix and there's a temple, and they've got good medicine, and, and now everybody's giving praise. My loved one is well. They were sick, and now they're living. Praise the snake god. Do you understand? It'd be really hard to live in Pergamum and be a follower of Jesus. Your head would be, and then if your loved one got sick, what do you do? What do you do? Do you, do you, do you let them die? Or do you take them and you say, well, we're just not going to pay any attention. Yeah, we'll offer a few sacrifices and, and, and we'll say good things about the snake god, but we really don't mean it. It was hard to be a follower of Jesus in Pergamum at this time. Uh, second reason why Jesus calls Pergamum the hometown of Satan is because high above the city... There's this giant altar to the Greek god Zeus, okay? And I'm just, I, I wish I had my iPad and I could just pop it up there right now, but I could show you this massive altar. Uh, and the reason we know it is because, um, I'll tell you, 
the Germans and the Turks, they had an alliance, World War I. Anyway, uh, they basically, I don't know if they allowed or they stole this, this altar, and it's huge, and, and they took it apart and they rebuilt it in Berlin. Anyway, we know it's, it's gorgeous, it's huge, it's massive, and it used to sit up on the hill above Pergamum. So everybody, as you walked in, that's one of the first things you'd see. You'd see this altar built to Zeus. Now, the reason they built it, track with me, there was this major battle in Pergamum's past. And, and they were going to fight for the death uh, against their arch enemies, the Galatians, and man, they're going to go to war and, and, and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed in the name of Zeus, and they won. And they won. They, they had victory. They had freedom. So they build this altar, and they commemorate, and they remember their victory, their freedom. Now, here's the problem, okay? You're, you're a Christian living in Pergamum. This wasn't just like in Washington, D.C., like you go to the memorials, you know, you can go to the Vietnam Memorial, you can go to the Korean War Memorial, the World War II Memorial I've been to, uh, you know, where you go and there's some patriotism and you remember, yes, those people stood up and, and they paid the ultimate price. This was more than that. There was that, there's patriotism, but then you also were expected to worship Zeus. When you went to this altar, you were expected, and it, and it got to the point where you were required to worship. Not, yeah, you were patriotic, but, but you're going to also acknowledge and confess, wow, Zeus, you are an awesome God. So, so now you're living in Pergamum, and, and you're, you're being pressured. You want to remember with pride the victory of your countrymen, right? You want to be a good patriot, but do I bow down? Do, do I worship like everybody else is doing? Do I just go along and get along? Or do I say, no, no, I, I'm just not going there? I just want you to know, it was hard to be a follower of Jesus in Pergamum. Third example I'll give. Um, here's why Jesus refers to Pergamum as Satan's throne. There's a massive temple next to Zeus, okay? Not quite as big as Zeus, but maybe just as important, and it's sitting right next to one of the largest theaters in the entire ancient world, okay? So you get this massive theater right here is another temple to Dionysus. Dionysus was the wine god. Um, and here's the deal. Uh, Dionysus... Uh, worship involved this like week-long party massive drinking binges everybody's drunk for a week you're eating raw meat you're offering sacrifices to the wine god you're dancing you're chanting um, I'll keep it PG-13 there weren't a lot of clothes involved and all sorts of sexual immorality going on we'll leave it there I think you get the idea okay Ray Vanderlaan explains this. This is interesting. Dionysus' worship was so wild and so sordid, it was outlawed in Rome. Let that soak in. Rome was not a prudish city at this time. 
Rome at this time was liberal and wild and crazy, but this week-long Dionysius, that was too crazy for Rome. No, you may not do that here in Rome. Uh, Think spring break in Daytona Beach, Mardi Gras in New Orleans, the Vegas Strip in the middle of the night, and then put them all together and then times 10. That's what we're talking about here. The whole city of Pergamum showed up to this festival and, and basically everything shut down. Everybody was drunk and you could do whatever you wanted. That was the point of this Dionysus festival. And I'm just telling you, it was hard to be a follower of Jesus and you lived in this city. Because that was like happening. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody takes off work and the whole town just goes crazy worshiping the wine god, Dionysus. Look at verse 13. Here's what Jesus says. Um, I know where you live, church at Pergamum, uh, and you live where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You didn't renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Um, it seems that Antipas was a church leader in the city of Pergamum. And not too uh, far in the past, he had refused to participate in some of this stuff. I'm not going along with this Dionysus worship. I'm not going to the medical center. I'm not bowing down to Zeus. I'm not going to worship Domitian as God. He's, he's just a man. And history says they grabbed him and they threw him in a brass bull and then they put a fire underneath the brass bull and literally roasted him alive. I, I know... I know what kind of city you're living in. I, I know what's going on there, Jesus says. Uh, and I know if you're going to follow me well, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult to be a, a follower of Jesus in Pergamum. So uh, that, that church did great, right? They, they, they all remained faithful and true, right? Um, I, I wish that was the end of the story. But some of them were beginning to give in to the pressure. Uh, some in the church at Pergamum were starting to cave. Uh, look at verse 14. Nevertheless, here's what Jesus says, I have a few things against you. <laughs> there are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Okay, let's go back. Uh, Nicolaitans, what's that all about? And Balaam and Balak? Uh, what is the teaching of Balaam and Balak that some in the church in Pergamum had started to embrace. Okay, if you'd like, hold your spot here and go way back in your Old Testament to the book of Numbers. About 1,500 years earlier, uh, the Jews, um, they had come out of the promised land 
excuse me, they had come out of Egypt and they were about to enter the promised land, just about on their way into the promised land. And now in Numbers chapter 22, there's this king, he's the king of Moab, and his name is Balak. Track with me now. And he sees the children of Israel, and they're massive. A couple million of them, and they're headed for the promised land, and Balak is terrified. Man, this is a huge number of people, and they have God's blessing on them, and we are in trouble. So, what does Balak the king do? Uh, he does what all of us would do, right? He, he hires an outside expert. He, he hires a consultant whose name was Balaam. And Balaam was a, we'd probably call him a sorcerer. You know, he, he was like, he, he was a man uh, with, with some power, okay? He says, hey, Balaam, come quickly. I'm going to give you a small fortune. But we got this, we got this children of Israel problem, and they're scaring me. So I'm going to pay you big bucks. You come and place a curse on the children of Israel. And I tell you what, it's kind of a fun read. Chapter 22, uh, Balaam's headed there, and then God speaks to Balaam through his donkey, and it's kind of fun. Don't mess with my kids. Uh, Balak says, keep coming. I'm going to offer you sacrifices and lots of gold and lots of silver. And if you go to Numbers 23, this would be a great read this next week. It, it kind of goes on. Uh, he goes to curse Israel. God, do awful things to these people. And every time he starts to curse them, the Lord grabs his mouth and he blesses them instead. It's kind of fun. And, and, and he cannot curse them. And every time he opens his mouth, he actually says, and, and do wonderful things and may they increase. And, and may your hand of blessing and protection be on them. Why did I say that? Quit. And, and he can't stop himself. And then Balak uh, hears him, and he said, hey, 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 what's wrong with you? I paid you to curse them, and you keep blessing them. What's wrong with you? Uh, it, it's kind of fun. Um, so finally, he, here's, here's what Balaam concludes. I can't curse God's people. He, he won't allow me. He, he's not going to use me to bring curses on his own people. So here's my advice. This is Numbers 31 and verse 16. Uh, since I can't curse them, and since God won't allow his children to be cursed, here's my advice, okay? Um, Balak, find all the pretty young women from Moab uh, and send them down into the Israeli camp and send all these pretty lovely ones in there and, and say to the Israeli men, hey, let's have a party. Let's eat, drink, and be merry, and, and come with us, and we're going to have a great time, and we can pretty much do whatever we want, and we'll do this all in front of Baal, and we'll say, hey, thanks, Baal, for the good time. And guess what? That advice works. God's not going to curse his people, but God's people, enticed properly, uh, turn their back on Jehovah God. And uh, they are lured away, and there's judgment upon them, and it's ugly, and they're corrupted by temptation, and they compromise, and they cave, and, and it's really sad, as many of them join in the worship of Baal. Now, here's, here's key. Give me your eyes. 
they don't they don't reject Jehovah. They just say, well, we'll love Jehovah, but we'll uh, we'll be okay with Baal too. You understand? Yeah, yeah. We still we're still Jews. We're still children of of the blessing. We love the Lord our God, but we're okay with these ladies, and we're okay with their God. So so we'll just kind of do Jehovah plus Baal, and I think that'll be okay, don't you? That that'll work out just fine. Apparently, now let's go back to Revelation. Uh, apparently, some of that thinking was going on in the church at Pergamum. Uh, they were still showing up for church on Sunday morning. They were here at 9 o'clock sharp. Um, but on Saturday, they couldn't resist the Wine God Festival. You know, because it's so fun, and there's lots of energy there. And even though they got totally hammered on Saturday night and did all sorts of sinful sexual stuff the night before church, um, they wanted to be there for church because they still love Jesus. I love Jesus, but I really like the Wine God Festival too. And uh, they, they were okay with going to the Temple of Escopolis. You know, I got these headaches. I, I got this foot problem. And they were okay with sacrificing on the altar of the snake god, but then they couldn't wait to get to church on Sunday mornings because they really liked the worship songs. They, they still love Jesus, but, you know, you, know, you, you got to do what you got to do when you're not feeling well. And they would go and confess Caesar as God and Lord at the different shrines to Zeus and to the most recent Caesar, and they, they would pledge their allegiance on the altar of Zeus. But on Sunday morning, they loved taking communion. Y you see, they didn't reject Jesus. They just had Jesus plus some stuff. It, it, it was kind of a, an add-on. They weren't abandoning Jesus, but they really liked participating in all of the wild and crazy and sometimes effective stuff going on in their hometown. Going, going down a little bit, uh, it talks about the Nicolaitans. Apparently, the Nicolaitans were a group in the church, it seems. And they had found their way into the church at Pergamum, and they were saying this, it's fine to go along and get along. I mean, we have to survive. This is a hard place, Pergamum. So it's okay to fit into the culture here. You know, it's fine to be patriotic. You know, you're bowing down to Caesar, but we, we know we don't really mean it. You know, you can go to the Dionysus Festival and get hammered and, and do a few things you know you shouldn't be, but you know what? That's just what it means to live in Pergamum. Just go along and get along, because this is a really hard place to live as a follower of Jesus. And besides, here's the Nicolaitans teaching, guess what? The next day, we'll confess it as sin and get righteous and clean and pure, and it's gone. It's kind of like no big deal. It's gone. So, you know, we've got grace. Let's just use it. And, and the more grace uh, we use, the more amazing grace is, right? We can just sin and just keep on going. Again, I just want you to understand, the church at Pergamum we're guilty of the same things that was going on with Balaam and Balak. Let's do God plus, and that's okay. 
compromise, excuse, rationalize, ignore. And soon, give me your eyes, pretty soon, they didn't look much different than the pagans of Pergamum. Kind of fun to say. The pagans of Pergamum didn't look any different than many of the Christians who were attending this church in Pergamum. They kind of did the same things. They sort of talked the same way. They had the same hobbies. They had the same things they liked to run around and play with. They, they looked pretty much the same. So, just pause for a moment. How does, how does this sort of Jesus plus factor into the church at Walloon? Um, and and here's, here's the frightening truth. I believe more than the church at Ephesus and more than the church at Smyrna, I'm afraid that for our day and age, that Jesus plus attitude might be the most dangerous thing going on for our church today. You know, because there's lots of fun stuff going on, you know, and I, I don't want to feel like I'm not on the inside, you know, because, you know, if, if I don't know what's going on with Game of Thrones or House of Cards or True Blood or the latest this or that or the other on, on some I'll feel out of it. I, I got to watch that stuff. Come on, what's wrong? I love to sing worship to Jesus and praise him. And I know that at this party, everybody's going to get hammered, and I'm probably going to too, but, but, but Pastor Jeff, everybody's doing it. You don't understand. Everyone else is, you know, and, and, and everybody else I know, they're... they're they're addicted to something, so why is it a problem if I'm? I, I'm I've got Jesus. I got my fire insurance. <laughs> I got my anger addiction, my money addiction, my bitterness addiction, my porn addiction, my sinful appetite, but Jesus still loves me, and I think he's okay with it. Because every time I get done, I say, please forgive me, amen. So, did you notice it got very quiet in here? What does the risen, resurrected Christ think of this Jesus plus thinking uh, in his church? H how do you suppose he's going to respond? Okay, uh, Verse 16, one word, <laughs> and I think it, it was loud, okay? Repent! <laughs> no, excuse me, wrong thinking, wrong behavior, heading in the wrong direction, uh, the nevertheless seems to indicate wrong, repent, stop, turn, go the other direction. That's wrong thinking. When you adopt the Jesus plus as your mode of operation, Jesus says, no, no, that's not compatible with following me. That doesn't work for me. Not for my followers, not folks in my church. And here's what he says. Let's just go back. Repent, therefore, otherwise, what does he say? I will soon come to you, and I'm going to fight against you with this Jesus plus thinking with the sword from my mouth. I'm going to get my switch out. Anybody know what you mean? Switch almost seems like you... you, uh, do you, you anyway, Jesus says, I'm, I'm going to discipline you, 
and wake you up so you'll wake up and come back to me. Okay, I remember going one day, probably 10, 11 years old, my buddies and I, Steve Heck's backyard, railroad tracks, but beyond the railroad tracks just looked so attractive. It was green, it was, it was fun, it was unknown territory. So Steve and a couple buddies, we went over the railroad tracks in this massive field and forest out back. And we played for hours, and it was so fun. And the problem is this, none of us remembered to inform our parents where we were going. And one of the mothers, it wasn't mine, she got the phone call, but one of the mothers became aware that we were missing and couldn't be found, and they get in their cars and they're driving around and then two hours later, we come back from the land of fun and plenty. And now we come home and we show up, and they loved us deeply. They did. So please understand, you get it with kids. You love them deeply, so you discipline them for their good. That's, that's what he's talking about here. Somehow... In our, in our brains, we convince ourselves, I can do whatever I want, and Jesus will still be okay with me. I, I can do whatever I want, and I'll still have God's blessing and his power and his peace, and it doesn't matter. I can have this Jesus plus, and whatever your plus is, and God's blessing and grace and goodness will still flow in my life. And I'm just telling you, wrong wrong he'll still love you you're still a member of his family if he's taken up residence but the grace and the goodness and the blessing can be taken away are you tracking well that's not very nice well he's a good god who's the best parent and he out of love will love us deeply verse 17 whoever has ears let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who's victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I'll also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. <laughs> What's that? Well, uh, I, I'm going to give you what I think it means. Now, I won't lie to you. Hidden manna and the white stone with your name on it, uh, I think I found about 15 different options on what those could mean, okay? So I'm going to share with you what I believe it means, okay? Uh, he says, hidden manna. Manna is food, food that God provides, and the best food that God provides is, is that daily koinonia intimacy with him. I think what Jesus is saying is, if you'll repent, go back, Repent, he says. Turn direction, come back and do it my way, and fellowship with me will be restored. You're going to come and eat with me, and, and we're going to be back in one. Because right now, you've separated fellowship with me with your behavior, with, with the new policy that you've adopted. Um, the white stone with your name on it, again, lots of ideas. What does that mean? I'll give you the one that resonates with me. Uh, ancient courtrooms this time, jury, judge, they're deliberating, and now they're about to present their verdict. Uh, 
they would, when they are ready to present their verdict, either present a black stone or a white stone. If the judge or the jury found the defendant guilty, black stone. If the judge and the jury found the defendant innocent, not guilty, you're handed a white stone. I personally think that's what's going on here. And, and I think Jesus is saying, repent, drop your Jesus plus compromising, and I'm going to forgive you, and I'm going to cleanse you, and I'm going to pronounce you innocent. You are clean. And intimacy with me, again, is restored. And there's going to be a relationship with me that only you and I know about. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? When you know the Lord personally, and you and Jesus have a relationship, and there's stuff going on that only you and he know going on. I, I think that's what he's talking about. So that will be restored, but you've got to repent. So here's the closing question. Is there anything you've been justifying and ignoring and excusing? I'm just going along. I'm just getting along. This is a hard place to be a follower of Christ. Is there anything right now in your life that's not compatible with following Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? You need to know something. He's aware. He knows all about it. It's not escaped his attention. And I believe today, as he writes to the church at Pergamum, he's writing to the church at Walloon. And he's saying, you know what, church? If there's garbage there that you've been trying to hold on to Jesus plus, it's time to get rid of that. It's time to quit excusing and rationalizing and denying and step up and say, you know what, it's time to repent. I, I've been thinking this way, I've been behaving this way, and I'm going to turn and go the other direction. I'm going to do it God's way. I, I believe that today, for some of you, can be the day. E enough. That's been a part of my past, but I'm not going to carry it on into the future by God's grace. Th this this attitude of compromise and Jesus plus, it's not compatible with being a follower of Jesus. I don't want to go to war with, with I don't want to go and have the Lord take me to, to his place of discipline. By God's grace, that's going to end today. Bow your heads. Shut your eyes. And I recognize we're all different. <laughs> we all uh, have different struggles and challenges and yet I believe that all of us probably have an area or two that without without intention without constantly being on guard without God through his spirit giving us power to say no we're tempted to have that same Jesus plus attitude would you invite the Lord to show you if that might be the case for you?
the Lord uh, has spoken and there's some stuff that needs to be dropped and repented of and gotten rid of that you've been holding on to, justifying, ignoring, excusing, rationalizing over. I believe that Jesus is saying, the risen Christ, repent. That's enough. Stop. Not going to carry that into the future. And I'm convinced the only way you actually kill those kind of entangling pet sins are to expose them, to bring them into the light, to bring them... Uh, reason we have church before the church before one another and uh, ask for Jesus to kill them and give you the power to keep killing it on a daily basis so uh, I just would close by saying this if the Lord is doing some, uh, some work on you today you're invited to, to make your way up front in front of the Lord Almighty but more importantly, in front of his church, publicly exposing the fact that uh, he's spoken, and I got this Jesus plus thing going on, but by God's grace, that's going to be no longer a part of my future. So I, I don't know if, if any of you need to do that, but I know that the Lord has put me in a headlock, and he said, if that's you, and you're ready to kill it, it's time to expose it. Make your way up front. And we certainly will pray for you. I'll give you, you know, like 30 seconds now. If the Lord's knocking, are, are you ready to respond? Make your way on up here, and uh, you'll just publicly kneel before the Lord in his church, and we'll do some business even right now. of you right now are sweating bullets and hoping it all close quick because the Lord's knocking. That's a pretty good sign. Are you willing to humble yourself and stand before him in his church and say, it's enough. have a, a couple of folks up here who've humbled themselves before Jesus and I'm going to pray for them but uh, they shouldn't be up here alone so I'd like uh, several of you to come and gather around them and uh, let them know you're going to be praying for them and you're going to pray for them even right now and uh, next week and next month you're going to check in and you're going to be uh, holding them up as brothers and sisters in Christ so uh, I'm going to pray, and then uh, you guys uh, can talk and pray over them as well. Lord, uh, I just want to say right now, thank you. You've knocked, and you've uh, just given the strength and the courage to a couple of my friends here to uh, humble themselves. And that's one of the hardest things we're ever asked to do. So thank you for that. And thank you that whatever it is that's going on in their life, Lord, 
it's not been a secret from you, but now publicly they're declaring their intention to make that a part of their past and no more into the future. So, Lord, whatever it is that's going on, give them strength, give them victory. Lord, thank you for their willingness to uh, allow you to work. You, you do great and mighty and awesome things in each and every one of their lives. And we pray this in the strong name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Okay. Um, you can go ahead, go ahead and you guys can talk. The rest of you, you're going to talk too, okay? And uh, here's what you're going to do. A as you're dismissed, uh, I want you to find three people that you don't know and find out what their names are before you're dismissed, okay? So find some folks. I don't remember your name, or maybe I never did know your name. What's your name? Here's my name. And then you're dismissed. <laughs>